Well, last week we started out with a story about angels, and then we turned to Luke's Christmas story and some more angels. I, I want to return to those particular angels, but first I just have to share with you some, uh, some nuggets, some truth about angels that come from, of course, the priceless wisdom of children. This is a great one. One little one says, yeah, I only know the names of two angels, Hark and Harold. <laughs> Another one says, everybody's got it all wrong. Angels don't wear halos anymore. I forget why, but scientists are working on it. <laughs> this is a great one. Angels work for God and watch over kids when God has to go do something else. This is classic. Angels talk all the way while they're flying you up to heaven. And the main subject is where you went wrong before you got dead. <laughs> Angels, by the way, live in cloud houses made by God and his son, who is a very good carpenter. All angels are girls because they got to wear dresses and the boys didn't go for it. And then finally, what I don't get about angels is why when someone is in love, they shoot arrows at them. <laughs> and if you've read the classic story, The Best Christmas Pageant Ever, then you recognize the name of Gladys Herdman, the youngest of six kids who are described in the story as six skinny, stringy-haired kids, all alike except for being different sizes and having different black and blue places where they had clunked each other. Absolutely the worst kids in the history of the world. They lied and stole and smoked cigars, even the girls, and talked dirty and hit little kids and cussed their teachers and took the name of the Lord in vain and set fire to Fred Shoemaker's old broken-down tool house. They were just so thoroughly awful, you could hardly believe they were real. We all just figured they were headed straight for hell by way of the state penitentiary <laughs> until they got themselves mixed up with the church. And... If you've read the story, you know they ended up in the church's Christmas pageant after bullying the other kids out of their parts. Gladys, the youngest and meanest Herdman kid, plays the part of the angel who announces the birth of Jesus to shepherds who are trembling in her presence. Hey, hey, unto you a child is born. Listen up, is the tone she communicates with. I love it. Somehow, Gladys knew that it was an important announcement, as did those angels who were in their fields last week when the sky exploded and an angel told them that he had good news of great joy that would be for all the people. And remember, the great company of the heavenly host that filled the sky. Well, that's the translation that's used by the NIV. Other translations use the word multitude. One uses vast host of armies of heaven. Eugene Peterson in the message, he likes to call it a huge angelic choir. And that, my friends, is the point. There was a whole lot of them. The word that we translate host in English, well, it, it's derivative of a word that carries the idea of something being spread out. It's like this carpet spread out in the room to cover all the floor. It's it's like grass that spreads out and covers an entire field. That's the host. Imagine. These creatures were spread out, filling the sky as far as the eye could see, praising God. Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace to those on whom his favor rests. Peace. 
Now there's one of those historic traditional Advent themes and a word that I think represents a concept that so much of our world longs for. France, Sudan, Nigeria, Syria, Somalia, many of our own major cities right now, the southern border along Mexico. The list could go on and on and on and on of the places in our world that are longing for peace. I can't remember where I read this quote, but I wrote it down because it's such a heartfelt expression of that longing. This person says, every day there's something bad that has to happen. Whether someone gets killed in a shootout or it's a robbery, what's going on? And then they say this, we're all humans. We shouldn't have to kill each other. What's this world coming to? Do you hear that? You feel that? Yeah. We are all humans. And and we shouldn't have to kill each other, but that I think is why we kill each other. We are all humans. We are fallen creatures. And in so many ways, we are far removed from what God created us to be. And sometimes in this season, those words declared, maybe sung by that host of heavenly beings, I think those words are misunderstood, sometimes incorrectly quoted as peace on earth leading to some fair questions on the part of those who hear the words, well, it's been a couple of thousand years. Have I missed something? You know, not experiencing a whole lot of peace in my life, certainly not seeing it very often in the world. Where exactly is the peace? And that's a fair question. If we use Webster's definition, freedom from civil disturbance a state of security or order within a community provided for by law or custom, freedom from disquieting or oppressive thoughts or emotions, harmony in personal relations, a state or period of mutual concord between governments, a pact or agreement to end hostilities between those who have been at war or in a state of enmity. So, not seeing enough of those kinds of things in this world as a result of of Jesus' birth? Well, the truth is, neither did the people in the first century when he was born. In fact, the events and the circumstances of of that night, I think, are are far from peace-filled. We've talked about the difficulty of of living under the oppression of the Roman Empire. There was a lot that was lacking in peace about that life. And and I think one of the greatest ironies is the night itself. It started with the frightening appearance of the angel and all the hosts that we've talked about. There's Mary in labor. 
with no place to go to have a baby. A young girl, probably 13 to 15 years old, likely scared to death. Her mother's not around. Moms are typically a great help in those times. Maybe there was a midwife if one could be found at what hour of the night. How about Joseph? Ever think about Joseph? He's never done this before. And I can see Joseph running around, banging on all the doors again all the doors that he had first banged on to try to find a place to stay. And now he's trying to, to get all the necessary items because he doesn't even know what is needed. And the neighbors, the neighbors that Joseph didn't awaken, well, potentially by the time all the, the fuss has been carrying on, they're awake and the animals probably stirred up too. And then there's the blood and the placenta. Okay, you get the, you get the picture. Silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright. Who are we kidding? <laughs> all is calm? Probably not. Bright? Well, for a few minutes, when the shepherds were scared to death and the heavenly host lit it up. But a holy night for sure. So I hope I haven't ruined the image that you have in your mind of that night. It's <laughs> not my intent, but it, it, it could have been miraculously peaceful, but that simply doesn't make sense to me. And then, as if that's not enough, long after, that, just, just shortly after Jesus' birth, the family had to flee to Egypt because King Herod was trying to kill the baby. And he slaughtered countless male infants and toddlers in an effort to get to Jesus. Peace on earth? And what about the life of that baby? Jesus grew up and led a life where a lot of people hated him because he, he lived and, and he taught things contrary to the status quo of the day. Peace on earth? He hung out with the wrong crowd. Prostitutes and thieves and lepers he was always stirring up the authorities because of the way he lived and because of what he taught. He said himself, I've not come to bring peace, but a sword. Well, they loved hearing that. And they murdered him. And his followers scattered in fear. Peace on earth. And then after he rose from the dead, told his followers to go into the world and teach people about him, he left the earth, and then 10 or 11 of the original 12 were killed by the people who hated them. And millions of followers of Jesus since then have died because of him. Peace on earth? Where? And, and when? I love the video this morning. The kids were clear. And let's be clear as God's people about the peace that we celebrate at Advent. Where in the world is this peace that the angels were proclaiming? Vic, can we put up that first slide? You know this, you've heard this, you've read this countless times. Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth. Peace to those on whom his favor 
rests. Oh. And on earth, peace. To those on whom his favor rests. Seems to be a little caveat there, don't you think? Yeah. How about the, uh, how about the, the second set of slides, Vic. Let's put those up. Let's get some more clarification. Let's stand together. And we're going to read from Romans chapter 5 this morning. It's not a Christmas text. I hope you'll forgive me. But it's, uh, it's an amazing truth about the birth that we celebrate in this season. Let's read together. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith... We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Wait a minute. Got to read that again. Don't want you to miss that one. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. Wow. My brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. We also glory in the hope. Go ahead and be seated. Glory, Greek word is a word that uh, has at its root joy, rejoicing. We also rejoice. How do, we, how do we do that? Let's put the next slide up, Vic. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, put on your theological caps for just a couple of minutes. What does it mean to have peace with God, and why is that so important? See what your neighbor thinks. All right. Getting a little quiet out here. What do you think? Who wants to start us off? Okay, good. Good point. Good point. You know, if I, if I know the one who's in control of all things, even though I don't necessarily get or understand what's going on, yeah, it, it could lead to a sense of peace for me. Okay. You, really, the wrath of God does not call to your heart? Okay. Peace somehow puts us in a better place is what I hear you getting at. All right, good. What else? What else? Other, yeah. <laughs> okay. 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 It's interesting, isn't it? Pauline theology is fascinating in that he, he, he paints this image in places of a wrathful God <clears throat> towards sin, but at the same time, in juxtaposition is, is the love of God, the great love of God that pursues. Man, wow. <laughs> we just ought to go home. <laughs> That's right on. Good stuff. Man, good theology, folks. I love it. I love it. You know, Paul is talking about a piece that comes as a result of having our greatest problem fixed. That's really what it comes down to. It, it's, it's the Hebrew, we've, we've talked about shalom in the past. It's the Hebrew concept of shalom 
Love what the kids did with that in the video. It's a, it's a word, as, as Matt spoke out, it's a word that has very little to do with circumstances of life. And it is way more than a feeling. Shalom is rooted in the character of God. If you don't take anything with you this morning, other than that, I'll be a happy man. Shalom is rooted in the character of God and is a gift that comes to those who have a relationship with God. And we've, we've said many times in, in this Advent season that Jesus came to the earth and the reason that he came was to, to die for sinful, broken people. Again, that the, the baby was born to die. And, and I, I think we always need to, to, to couple that truth with, with the joy of his birth because the joy of his birth led to the sacrifice of his death which leads to the peace and life of his people. Jesus did not come to fix the problems on earth. That's peace on earth. He came to fix those who caused the problems. That's us. He came to transform. And when we recognize that Jesus came to die for us so that so that we might be forgiven the heart's sin of rejecting God. That gets at the idea of being enemies of God or hostile towards God, as, as Lee was referencing. When, when, we, when we realize that we can be forgiven of that, that sin of rejection and we put our faith in Jesus to deliver and save us from that sin, we suddenly find ourselves in a life-giving relationship with God who created us for himself. You remember the story that we, we often talk about in relationship to forgiveness in Matthew's gospel, the unforgiving servant. He's forgiven an enormous debt of a lifetime, millions of dollars in our equivalent currency. And he's uptight about a guy who owes him 10 bucks. It's like, are you an idiot? Answer, yes. But what Paul is saying is, is that that our million-dollar debt has been taken care of. Million-dollar debt is, is gone, has been paid, has been forgiven by God. And we find ourselves in this life-giving relationship with the one who created us for himself to love us and to give us life in his presence. That, my brothers and sisters, that is Advent peace. It is shalom. It, it restores us to what we were created for. It opens the door to the one definition from Webster that I think gets closest to this that we read earlier is it talks about harmony between persons. Oh yeah, that's the piece that Paul's talking about. Harmony between God the creator and his creatures who rebel against him and strive to live life for themselves rather for him, than for him. You know, in his letter to the Ephesians, Paul stated that, that Jesus is our peace. He is our shalom for those 
who put their faith in him. Jesus is their peace. And as a result of putting our faith in Jesus to be our Savior, we find ourselves rightly related to God. That's the good place that Monica's talking about. We are suddenly no longer in a hostile territory. We become members of the family of God. Wow. Wow. You can say that if you want. Related to the God who holds our lives and our soul, as Karen referenced, in his hands. It has eternal significance. It goes way beyond this life here and now. And suddenly we find ourselves in a position of security because all is well between us and God. Shalom is a peace that defies and goes beyond the circumstances of life. He is saying that because of what God has done, God's people can rejoice in sufferings of all kinds. In, in the face of difficult circumstances, they can rejoice because they have peace. Yeah, all the stuff that's going on and the hard things in my life and the injustices and the sufferings that I'm a part of and the people that I love are a part of, those are $10 problems. The million-dollar problem has been taken care of by God in Jesus. Okay, Vic, can we put that last slide up? Those on whom God's favor rests equals Paul's statement of those who are justified through faith. God's favor rests upon those who are justified by faith, believing in the reason for Jesus' birth and life and death. So the peace that we celebrate, as, as we have said at Advent, has nothing to do with, with circumstances and, and the things that we so often want relief from. It didn't mean that when the angels announced it, and, and it, it doesn't mean that now. <clears throat> Again, they are small change compared to the thing that we really need relief from. And that's the broken relationship with God who created us for himself. And that cannot happen for anyone apart from faith in the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ that cleanses us from sin, the sin that separates us from God. Admission of sin and consequent faith in Jesus, death and resurrection, puts us in a place of shalom with God. Michael Horton is a professor of theology at Westminster Sem, and he says this. He says, the gospel is not good instructions. It's not a good idea. It's not good advice. The gospel is an announcement of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. The gospel is a call to action, my friends. Those upon whom God's favor rests are those who by faith accept the olive branch of peace that God extends to those who live separated from Him. They become His adopted children. That is Advent peace. Now, I want to close this morning by just making some observations 
about what I hope you don't hear me saying this morning, if I can, if I can put it that way. What I hope that you, you, you don't hear me saying is that in all of this, I don't also want peace on the earth. I want to see wars cease. I want to see people get along. I want to see humans cease killing one another. I love the idea. But I hope it's clear that that's not the peace that we're singing about and celebrating at Advent. It's not what the angels were announcing, nor do I believe that it's what God has planned, as if I know what God has planned, but in terms of reading the scripture, I don't think it's what he has planned until he rolls up the scroll of human history and we find ourselves living in what the scripture calls the new heaven, the new earth, the, the paradise of, of newness and freedom to be who God has created us to be. I don't expect it to happen before then, but, but that doesn't mean that I don't want it. That doesn't mean that we don't long for it. That doesn't mean that we don't busy ourselves in activities that, that help bring people together and, and to talk and to understand and to forgive and, and all of those, those good things that can be blessings of God's just you know, e- extravagant grace that, that falls upon us as, as human beings. So, a couple of just final truth statements. First of all, peace on the earth is not God's top priority, if I can say it. Jesus didn't come to bring that kind of peace. In fact, he warned those that would follow him that he would be a source of tension and division between them and and others who didn't believe as they did. Jesus is, is God's light in a dark world. And sometimes the darkness welcomes the light and other times the darkness pushes back real hard. And that's where we need to clearly understand that Jesus came to bring peace to the people on earth, peace between themselves and God, the shalom of God. And here's the thing. As recipients of God's peace, as as being in a positional place of God's love and God's blessing and God's grace, no longer to use Paul's language in Ephesians 2, objects of God's wrath, we then have the potential to live at peace with all people. Yikes, this is hard. To live at peace with all people. Because our million dollar debt has been paid and the ten dollar offenses here and there, they, they shouldn't really matter. Because the million dollar debt has been paid. That doesn't mean that all ten dollar debts are equal. Some hurt a whole lot more than others do. But we need to see them 
in light of the million dollar debt that has been paid. We can live at peace with everyone because what people do or don't do, whether or not they live up to our expectations or they behave as we think they should, and that's often a problem, isn't it? People just don't behave like we think they ought to. I have a list of the ways that they should behave. And if they would just ask me, I would pass that list along to anybody. And if you're really good, I'll add your behaviors to my list and, you know, it, it can be a collective effort. Whether or not those things happen, it does not impact our shalom with God. And because that's true, then we can hear a second truth that really flows out of the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 5. You remember when Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers? For they will be called, you remember? Children of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And, and he did not mean that as a result of our peacemaking efforts, we would be entitled to be called children of God. It, it's not language of we're earning something there when we seek to live out the shalom that God has gifted us with. Jesus is saying it's a language, it's, it's language of identification. When people begin to see us living out the shalom of God in our lives, they see something that they don't see all the time. They see something that, that looks different. Perhaps something that they, they can't even explain. Jesus meant that when God's children live their lives mindful of the debt that has been paid, they will be recognized, identified as, oh, well, there's, there's one of God's kids. And, and I know that by the way he or she lives their life. Man, and this is where it really gets hard. Because they will begin to live their lives as the Spirit takes the truth of, of shalom deeper and deeper into us as followers of Jesus, we will begin to realize that more and more and more we need to be Jesus to others. If there's going to be peace on earth, then those who know and experience and live in shalom have begun, they, they, they need to begin to live out Shalom as if it has made a difference in their lives. And as that begins to get lived out, others begin to see and others become attracted to Jesus. I think that's what Jesus had in mind when he gave his followers the commandment to go into the world and teach others about him, to obey everything that, that he had taught them. Teach people to be like Jesus. We need to be like Jesus ourselves. And so, what do the peacemakers do? How do they live their lives? Well, they sacrifice for the sake of others. 
sacrifice for the sake of others. They, they give freely of themselves and of their resources, their, their time and their money and their stuff. They, they do not insist on their own rights. Boy. They don't get hung up on expectations. And again, that relates to people's behavior. You know, I, I, have, I have expectations of the way people ought to act in relationship to me and, and to, to others. But, but we don't allow those things and our disappointed expectations to cut us off from those who disappoint. Oh, they do not build themselves up at the expense of others. You know, I think if I have to go through another political season, I'm just going to vomit. <laughs> Golly. You know, is, is there anyone out there that could run for office without slinging mud and hiring investigators to dig up all the, 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 the what might be minuscule things in the lives of those who are running for office? I'm sorry, I don't even know why I said that. Just can't stand it. The one who came as a baby, that one that we celebrate in this season, the one who came as a baby and died as a criminal for the sin of broken humanity, even though he was innocent, we've said clearly before, that one was and is God. And the creator of the universe, the, the one who does what he pleases, was pleased to humble himself and become a baby. What do you suppose Jesus thought before he came into the womb? I'm sorry. Is that just too weird? <laughs> but but you got you got to let your mind run down some of these paths that explode the absolute in incredulity that that surrounds the circumstances of Jesus life. You know the the, the growth and the development and the birth canal and come on. That's what he chose to do. That's what he chose to do. And, and doing all of that, knowing that, you know, 33 years approximately, give or take a few months later, he was going to hang on a Roman cross. Whoa. So the creator of the universe, the one who does what he pleases, was pleased to humble himself in a way that I frankly cannot even get my mind around. And he calls us to live his life in this broken world in such a way that people experience him through their interactions with us. Praise team, why don't you come on up and prepare to lead us as, as we uh, want to respond this morning. How would, how would God call you in, in your life, me in my life, to 
to think seriously about what it means to be identified as a child of God because I'm a peacemaker, because I want there to be harmony in relationships between myself and others, between others and others. How how might he be calling me to, to sacrifice, to give more of what I have, to to not be concerned about what others may think of me or not. All of those things that, that, that go into living out the shalom of God, which is the position in which we stand, those who have put their faith in Jesus. I want to close. I just, I, some of you, I know, get the, uh, the Advent devotional that comes out from Biola University, the Center for Christianity, Culture, and the Arts. I was reading about one of the, uh, the, the writers this week. Her name was Judith Mendelssohn-Rood. She's the professor of history and Middle Eastern studies at Biola University. Can you think of a place in the world that needs peace? Can you say Middle East? Her most radical act, she describes herself, was to accept the Lord Jesus Christ as her Savior and Redeemer. And she is dedicated to serving the church, the Muslim world, and the Jewish people. Her specialization is Jerusalem in world history. She was the first woman to do research in the Islamic archives in Jerusalem and has spent the past seven years seeking to understand Arab Christianity and the origins of Islam. Listen to this. In order to help Israelis and Palestinians reconcile at the foot of the cross, praising Jesus as the only possible reconciler of all that is broken in our world. That's our job description, brothers and sisters. As sons and daughters of God, we are called to be the people who live out the truth of who Jesus is. The baby born, the baby who was born to die, is the only possible reconciler of all that is broken in our world. Oh God, thank you for this season. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your amazing sacrifice. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for your presence in our lives. You who come to empower, to encourage, to teach, to challenge, not so that we would live better lives by our estimation or someone else's, but that we would live lives like Jesus, living for his glory, for his praise, living out the shalom into which you have so graciously included us. We thank you. Amen.